0: Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy. It's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Professor Paul Fairchild. Professor Fairchild is a fellow at Trinity College in Oxford. He joins us today by a telephone from England. Professor Fairchild, welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. Thank you. You have a well-regarded program in terms of immunology as it relates to various therapies. Can we begin this discussion with a synopsis of the focus areas of your lab?
1: Well, I guess maybe if I give you a little bit of background first of all to my interest in stem cells and regenerative medicine, and also in the whole field of immunology. Because I originally trained in immunology actually here in Oxford and did my PhD here before then moving on to Cambridge where I worked for quite a few years as a postdoctoral fellow looking particularly at the whole fields of autoimmunity with a focus on multiple sclerosis in particular, but then returned to Oxford in 1995, actually, so 23 years ago now, and was really interested in in working on or producing knockout mice, particularly that lacked the interleukin-12 gene to try and understand what role it played in the immune response. But actually, that was my very first introduction to embryonic stem cells in mice, at least. This was before they'd ever been produced in human. And I actually developed quite an interest in stem cell biology and the directed differentiation of those cells into different lineages. And it was actually during that period that we were the first to ever direct the differentiation of ES cells into populations of dendritic cells, which are of course absolutely essential in stimulating all immune responses. And really it was that finding that set us on the path of making use of pluripotent stem cells as tools for immunotherapy for actually directing differentiation into populations of cells which might be used in vivo to direct the outcome of the immune response. And that's actually been the focus of our research ever since. And in fact, only two weeks ago, we heard that original finding of the directed differentiation of dendritic cells from embryonic stem cells has finally gone into clinical trials. That work which we patented was actually licensed first by Geron Corporation and then more recently by Asterius Biotherapeutics, And they have done a fantastic job in now taking that right the way through to clinical trials for the treatment of non-small cell lung cancer. We're very excited to have actually been responsible for spinning out a, a particular therapy which has now gone into clinical trials. So that hopefully gives you a little bit of a sense of my background and interest in both immunology and regenerative medicine.
0: Thank you for that synopsis and congratulations on your accomplishments of moving technology from the bench to the bedside.
1: Well, thank you, but I must say that it's Asterius that has done all the groundwork there, but it comes initially from the work in my laboratory. So uh, it is purely reflected reflective glory that we are able to bask in at the present time.
0: (laughs) Where is the clinical trial being conducted, if some of our listeners might be interested?
1: It's actually being held here in the UK, and it is actually being funded by Cancer Research UK. But it's Asterius Biotherapeutics who are leading on that.
0: In terms of this broad subject of immunology, I assume that this area could be applicable to a broad array of issues such as diabetes, Parkinson's disease, cardiac issues such as myocardial infraction. Is that correct?
1: Yes, absolutely, yes. In fact, it's a very exciting time for the whole regenerative medicine field. And as you and listeners may be aware, there have been a number of important advances even in the last year or so. So there have been some very exciting outcomes from the spinal cord injury studies that, again, Asterios have been leading on, but also from a number of clinical trials for age-related macular degeneration of the eye. But there is also some really exciting developments for the treatment of type 1 diabetes, as you mentioned, Parkinson's disease, myocardial infarction, so a whole range of different disease states which could be treated by replacing particular cell types which have been differentiated directly from pluripotent stem cells. So it's a very exciting time.
0: If we were having this discussion in five years, what is your prediction on the state of the art?
1: Well, I've been asked that on many occasions and I don't think I've ever been right so far, so I suspect I won't be right again. But I would hope that we will have moved beyond those phase one, two and three clinical trials and that we might, even within that time frame, begin to see some of these therapies actually becoming more mainstream and perhaps even more routine. And that is very much something that we're working towards in my own laboratory in the latest iterations of some of the technology that we've been developing in using pluripotent stem cells for immunotherapy. So certainly within five years, I hope that here in the lab, we will actually have moved through to first in-man studies. And so beyond that, we hope that a lot of these approaches that we're developing will become a lot more routine.
0: We're certainly living in some exciting times, and I commend you and your colleagues for the progress that has been made Professor Fairchild, I know that you are the former director of the Oxford Stem Cell Institute. Can you tell us about the institute and some of the focus areas?
1: Yes, I was actually privileged to set up the Oxford Stem Cell Institute back in 2007, so we've just celebrated over 10 years now, and it was really an attempt to bring together a lot of the really exciting work that's being done here in Oxford in different laboratories around the university and to have an opportunity for those people to get together and find out what one another were doing, but to also develop collaborations and apply for grant funding together for new and blue-skies research. And during the course of the 10 years, we have now expanded to over 50 laboratories, in fact, based in many different departments around the university. 17 departments, in fact, are represented. And we cover a whole host of different areas of regenerative medicine and stem cell biology right the way from neural stem cells through to stem cells at the heart, for instance, and all aspects of supporting technologies, things like scaffold structure, for instance, and the treatment or the use of mesenchymal stem cells, for instance, in immunotherapy. So we cover a whole host of different techniques and different cell types. So it's inherently interdisciplinary, and it's probably one of the most interdisciplinary institutes of its kind worldwide. It was actually laid on the foundations of groundbreaking research that has been done here in the past, actually, in in stem cell biology, which actually initiated this whole period of regenerative medicine. It really celebrates the work of people like Sir Richard Gardner, for instance, who was one of the first to derive embryonic stem cells, but then to make use of those to produce chimeric animals. But also the work of people like Sir John Gurdon, who did his brown grating studies here of uh, somatic cell nuclear transfer, initially in the frog, and it's really as a result of that that a lot of the recent work on induced pluripotency has come about. So Oxford has a lot of important background in the stem cell field. And the Oxford Stem Cell Institute has really attempted to build on those foundations.
0: Interdisciplinary research is clearly important to advance therapies in regenerative medicine. And I commend you and your colleagues for your vision and your organization and implementation of such a fine institute. Professor Fairchild, can you please give us some insight into the work in your lab. Yes, of course,
1: yes. I mean, my work over the last, actually almost 20 years now, has been very much at the interface between stem cell biology on the one hand and immunology on the other. And we have been making use of pluripotent stem cells really as tools for immunotherapy, as I mentioned a little earlier but we've also been very interested in understanding the immune response that is initiated against cells which have been differentiated from pluripotent stem cells. And I think it's fairly widely acknowledged that one of the major barriers that has to be overcome before we can really make use of pluripotent stem cells for regenerative medicine is the allograft rejection response that is normally initiated. And so what one of the aspects of the work in my lab has been to understand the level of immunogenicity of tissues differentiated from either ES cells or IPS cells, and then to try and induce a state of immunological tolerance in the recipient to then prevent them from rejecting that tissue. And that's something that has become a major focus of what we do, but it's also been acknowledged here in the UK as being one of the major roadblocks to regenerative medicine in the future. So there's certainly an understanding or a recognition that this is something that has to be resolved if we are ever really to progress routinely into a clinical setting by making use of pluripotency. The other area that we've been very excited about I've already mentioned was directing the differentiation of pluripotent stem cells into populations of dendritic cells on the understanding that if we can generate novel populations of dendritic cells that we may be able to intervene in the immune response and determine the outcome of antigen recognition. And what we have been doing recently is differentiating induced pluripotent stem cells, which we've derived directly from patients, into particular subsets of dendritic cells. And in particular, one subset, which is marked by the expression of a marker CD141, which has this capacity for antigen cross-presentation. And we believe that this is very important if we were to make use of these cells for cancer vaccination. And at the present time, we're currently attempting to spin out a a biotech company from the lab, which will then exploit the intellectual property that we hold in that whole field. And our hope is that one of our first indications will again be immune oncology, particularly colorectal cancer or potentially cervical cancer. But we're also very excited by the possibility of making use of these dendritic cells to very specifically induce a state of immunological tolerance, perhaps to therapeutic proteins. We see this as a platform technology which could actually be exploited in a number of different settings to potentially treat a whole range of different disease indications. So that's something that we're very excited about at the current time.
0: There are many different types of cancers. Is this approach potentially applicable to different types of cancer?
1: Potentially, it could be useful for a number of different cancers. What will determine the specificity of the approach is the antigens that we choose to feed to our populations of dendritic cells to allow them to cross-present to cytotoxic T cells. One of the advantages of our approach in making use of cells which have the capacity for antigen cross-presentation is that we can entrust that function to them to select from those antigens the peptide epitopes which they wish to present to the T-cell repertoire and so potentially it could be applicable to a number of different disease states, a number of different cancers. It just depends on defining antigens which are highly specific to that particular cancer so that there is little opportunity for off-target effects. That's actually one of the reasons that we are considering working on something like cervical cancer because it is of course virally induced which means that there are viral antigens which could serve as the targets for the immune response. And it is, of course, only those cells that we wish to target and destroy which will ever express those viral antigens. So it would potentially be very highly specific for that particular cancer.
0: So are there any potential risks with immunotherapy protocols?
1: Well, there are always risks with any of these new therapies that are coming through. Whenever we're using cells which are differentiated from a pluripotent source, whether those are embryonic stem cells or induced pluripotent stem cells, there is always the possibility of the carryover of some of those undifferentiated cells into the inoculum itself, and the regulators are particularly concerned that if that were to happen, then those cells could potentially become tumorigenic in vivo and could potentially give rise to teratomas, for instance. So that is always a possibility. We feel, in fact, that that our approach is unlikely to have quite such difficulties associated with it because, in fact, we don't need those dendritic cells to survive long-term in order to gain the benefit of immunotherapy. So unlike the treatment of Parkinson's disease, for instance, or type 1 diabetes, where all of the benefit of the treatment is actually lost if the implanted cells die, In the case of immunotherapy, those dendritic cells only need to survive for a relatively short period of time, and it's the legacy that they leave behind in the T-cell repertoire which is actually beneficial rather than their own persistence. We believe this is actually a major advantage in our approach because it means that all of the cells derived from the iPS cells themselves can be cleared from the system within possibly a few days or a week or two at maximum, and there will be nothing left within the individual that has been derived from an iPS cell. So we believe that the issues of safety are relatively easy to overcome, and in reality we could even potentially irradiate this population of dendritic cells prior to administration so that any cells which were undifferentiated, which were carried over in the inoculum, would not be able to go into cell division and actually produce a tumor. So we're hopeful that one particular obstacle will be relatively easy for us to overcome.
0: You mentioned before the need for interdisciplinary teams. Can you tell us about the core competencies in your lab?
1: We have a number of people who are associated with the lab. My lab manager has all of the requisite skills in pluripotency. He actually worked for 20 years with Sir Richard Gardner prior to Richard's retirement before then joining my own laboratory. So he brings with him a lot of the skills of isolating and developing embryonic stem cell lines and also induced pluripotent stem cell lines. So that's a core technology that we require. We have others who have been much more dedicated to the immunology side than the stem cell biology. And we often find that it's immunology which is what confuses people. It's a very complicated discipline, of course. So we have a number of dedicated immunologists We also actually have quite a few clinicians who are involved in the work, particularly one who's been interested in organ transplantation and potentially making use of dendritic cells in order to induce immunological tolerance to graft antigens. We span a whole range of different disciplines.
0: You indeed have an impressive multidisciplinary team. Professor Fairchild, as Deputy Editor, you have a leadership role in the Journal of Immunology and Regenerative Medicine. Can you tell us how the journal is positioned help those who are active in this field.
1: Well, the journal is relatively new, as you may be aware. I think it's, it's now in its second year, in fact. And we have now launched the first issue of the journal. And we are very excited by the interdisciplinary nature of the journal. And I'm absolutely persuaded that there is a real need for something that is interdisciplinary in this way. Here in the UK, as I've already mentioned, there, there's already a sense that In order to progress in the whole field of regenerative medicine, we have to deal with the underlying immunological response. But there's also been a lot of work that's been coming through in understanding how populations of leukocytes, such as tissue-specific macrophages, actually contribute to the wound repair and to the healing process. And so the immune system is often thought about as being the bad guy in regenerative medicine, but there's a lot of evidence that we might actually be able to harness it productively to help with the healing process. So I'm absolutely persuaded that we need to have a journal which covers these two disciplines and provides a forum for people to publish their work. So I'm extremely excited about it, and we hope that this will ultimately become the premier forum for publishing work at the interface between these two disciplines. We feel that really the way to move forward is to ensure that the journal retains very high standards and to perhaps offer a whole variety of different formats for publication, from brief communications to meeting reports to more lengthy papers, review articles, and so on. So that it becomes a real interactive forum where people can express their ideas. We also have a very high-quality editorial board, which of course is essential and will maintain the quality control of the journal, if you like. We have a very impressive lineup of people, actually, which already shows the level of enthusiasm that there is out there for the journal. One thing that I have noticed, actually, since becoming deputy editor, is the geographical distribution of the editorial board, which is currently weighted fairly significantly towards the United States, but I've already been trying to invite a number of people from Europe and the UK and Australasia in order to try and bring in new blood from uh, other areas of the world. So we're hopeful that in doing that, we'll be able to tap into a huge number of resources around the world, which are are working at the interface between these two different disciplines.
0: The journalist clearly positioned to fulfill an important need. We wish you and your colleagues the best as you move forward. Professor Fairchild, thank you for joining us today by phone from Oxford to share with our listeners a synopsis of your pioneering research. We wish you and your colleagues continued success. To our listeners, we welcome suggestions on topics for future podcasts. You can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. Thanks to the McGowan Institute that sponsors this podcast series. Until we meet again on another podcast, thanks for joining us today.